0: Section Twenty-One of Astounding Stories, Fourteen, February, nineteen thirty-one, by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Phalanxes of Atlans by F. V. W. Mason, Chapter Five. It seemed incredibly soon that Victor Nelson found himself striding out from the serrated ranks of the Atlantean army, which drawn up in a rough diamond formation looked discouragingly small in comparison to that vast sea of helmets twinkling ominously across the plain of poseidon amid a haze of bright yellow dust which climbed lazily into the breathless heavens the jarmuthian army numbering perhaps sixty or seventy thousand effective troops lay encamped in a great salient formed by a convolution of the Apidanus and formed the only Jarmuthian tract of the great valley lying south of the boiling river. Like low-lying snowdrifts, the sheen of the enemy tents struck Nelson's eye as he strode over the bright green turf to battle for Richard Alden's life. There was something back of those nasty grins of the ambassadors, he reflected. I wonder what deviltry they're cooking up. He glanced at a stalwart Atlantean herald, who, nervous in the extreme, clutched his brazen, dolphin-shaped horn, and followed in the American's wake, together with a sad little company, weeping, moaning, and dressed in plain black robes, marched six really lovely girls—they who would perish on Beelzebub's altar if Nelson failed. Bitter were the looks of the guards as they secured the hands of the victims, and many the hopeful look cast at the impassive American when they turned back, leaving the helpless girls to their fate. The ground where the one-sided duel was to take place was marked off by means of little yellow flags on a level plain perhaps a quarter of a mile long and wide. Arriving on the nearest border, Nelson briefly motioned the herald to halt. "'Might as well start shooting at the best range possible.' and beat their steam-throwers, he decided. Wish to the devil I'd a few more cartridges, only thirteen shots between me and Beelzebub's altar in Jezreel, so I'd better not miss. All right, son, toot your horn." With his thumb he gestured the command, whereupon the Atlantean nodded eagerly, and filling his chest, set horn to lips to blow a long, strident note that rang harshly, boldly out over the great plain. While the note of the challenge rang out, Nelson's eyes turned back to regard the Atlantean array and detected, far in the rear, a huge pillar of dust which must mark the progress of the Atlantean reinforcements. Would they arrive at Sairam in time? Then his eyes sought the spot where Altorius and his staff sat anxiously on their podocos, watching intently the impending struggle. Very clearly the flash of their armor came to him. "'I guess like the girls back there, they're kind of nervous and jumpy,' thought Nelson. "'Well, I don't blame them. I've had quieter moments myself.' Having blown three blasts, the Atlantean Herald saluted, then, with disconcerting haste, made his way back to the ranks of his fellows some two hundred yards away. From the Jarmuthian army came an answering blast. Nelson cast a last look on the Atlantean army, breathlessly awaiting the impending duel. There was the Allisori corps on the far left, He could see the chimeric monster's long, repulsive necks writhing endlessly back and forth through the air as they squealed and tugged strongly at their restraining chains. On the right were stationed perhaps ten thousand podocasins, their slender, yellow-shafted lances swaying like a sapling forest in the distance. In the center were eleven thousand protection infantry, green-crested and armed with compact tanks of blue maxima vapor fungus bombs and swords behind them and corresponding to heavy infantry were ranged some twenty thousand blue plumed hoplites eagerly fingering the brazen hoses of their death-dealing portable retortii nelson had no time to further study the array for he whirled about as from the atlantean army arose a deep horrified shout he stood paralyzed his jaw slack For there, waddling slowly forward, came the most fantastic huge creature imaginable. Unspeakably repellent and horrible, it stood on short legs thick as mature trees, to tower at least thirty-five feet above the ground at the foreshoulders. An immense reptilian neck, some twenty-five feet long, waved continuously back and forth, while a surprisingly small bullet-shaped head emitted grumbling grunts. "'Great God!' gasped the horrified aviator, and felt the ground sway under him. "'It must be ninety feet long!' Paralyzed by a dreadful fascination, he watched the ungainly hill-like reptile shuffle ponderously forward, and realized that, high on its back, was fixed a small fort, rather like those howdahs or boxes which are fastened to the backs of elephants. Chilled with the nearness of death, Nelson counted 6 mail male-clad warriors in the howdah, Then the true import of the Jarmuthians' evil jest struck him with full force. Six men, they said, and six men there are, but the treacherous devils mounted them on that walking hillside. Guess Altorius can kiss his six girls goodbye right now. Poor Alden. Well, I did my best. A rotten trick. At that moment he felt as an ant must feel on beholding the approach of a human. It was terrifying the inexorable advance of that colossal fantastic monster from behind he could hear the infuriated shouts of the atlantean army they knew even he could not hope to withstand the murderous onslaught of the beast now entering the duelling space on came the diplodocus its vast warty tail trailing over the ground and raising a heavy column of dust while its mud smeared sides bore out hero giles statement that here was one of those semi-aquatic titans from the steaming swamps of Jarmuth. Hell, poor Alden's as good as finished now! What a fool I was to think I could save him! Obedient to an overwhelming fear, Nelson whirled to flee, then stopped, as from the depths of his being a stronger power forbade him to desert his friend to certain death. Ranged two hundred and fifty yards, he estimated, and whipping up the Winchester, sighted full at the ponderous creature's slimy, snake-like head. When the recoil jarred his shoulder, Nelson dropped the barrel an inch or so to watch. Nothing happened. The great beast was advancing as before, its incredibly long neck weaving steadily back and forth as though to sniff the air. HELL! Struck by a sudden thought, he snatched a cartridge from his pocket and with that strength which comes to men in their hour of mortal peril, wrenched out the metal-jacketed bullet to reinsert it backwards into the brass cartridge-case. Meanwhile the vast brute had drawn nearer, crushing flat a young oak in its path, as easily as though it had been a wheat-stalk. "'Maybe this dum-dum will do some good,' panted Nelson. "'If it doesn't, nothing will stop it again he sighted until finding those small orange-red eyes in line with his sight he fired this time the gray-brown monster uttered a titanic bellow of rage halted and began shaking its clumsy blunt head hit it by god exulted nelson and seized the momentary respite to slip two fresh cartridges into the winchester's magazine But to his inexpressible dismay the monster presently resumed its ponderous progress, while the Jarmuthians in the Howdah uttered taunting yells that reached him faintly, while the sun-flares glinted on their brandished swords and lances. One of them plucked a fungus grenade from his belt and flung it with all his might in Nelson's direction. The missile fell to the earth far short of its destination, and seemed to break rather than explode, at the same time expelling that deadly greenish-yellow vapour which, blown away by a strong wind, fortunately came nowhere near the doomed aviator. "'Oh, you will?' Nelson sighted swiftly at the grenade-thrower and fired, whereupon the Jarmuthian, some hundred and fifty yards distant, spun crazily about, flung both arms towards the amber-yellow sky, and toppled from the howdah for all the world like a diver in quest of pearls from both breathless armies rose a terrific shout accustomed as they were to the visible destruction of the retortii this noisy yet invisible death was appalling but nelson's agonized attention was not on the assembled armies for nearer came the mountainous diplodocus its lumbering strides making the howdah sway like a ship in a gale and preventing the use of the portable retortii Nelson planted both feet, took fresh grip on his waning courage, and shot again, this time aiming at a gigantic black-bearded warrior who seemed to be training one of those portable retortii upon him. Again the Winchester cracked, and this time the black-bearded man sank from sight back into the howdah, while his companions, uttering vengeful shouts, tossed more fungus bombs at the lone heroic figure barring their progress towards the sixth-bound and shrieking maidens towering thrice as high as the largest african elephant the diplodocus was now but seventy-five yards away he had hit it that nelson could tell for a large shower of blood sprayed from the monster's neck then uttering a despairing curse he sent a shot smacking squarely into the left shoulder at the base of that mast-like neck with fervent hope of finding the heart but the heavy bullet bothered the cyclopean reptile no more than a sting of a mosquito on on it came in another minute it must stamp out victor nelson's life beneath feet as large as hogsheads damn nelson snapped the ejector lever throwing out the spent cartridge no use he whispered can't phase that hill of meat but i might as well kill all of those bloody cannibals i can with amazing speed and accuracy he picked off two of the remaining jermuthians whose shining bronze armor could nowise withstand the wicked impact of modern nickel-jacketed bullets. One of the stricken men for a moment dangled with the last of his strength from one of the chains securing the howdah to the enormous creature's back, then tumbled heavily some forty feet to the earth. Only two shots more in the magazine. Nelson suddenly found himself very cool. Two shots. And then— He was conscious of that great snake-like head darting viciously in his direction. A huge, slobbering mouth, studded with teeth a foot long, yawned redly before him like a nightmare incarnate, blotting out consciousness of all else. Then Victor Nelson, fighting to control his strumming nerves, deliberately sighted into a great orange-coloured eye, saw the narrow black iris over the Winchester's front sight, and knew the huge warty head was not ten feet away. He pressed the trigger and never heard the report, but felt the blast of a furnace-hot breath in his face, a breath that stank like the foul reek of burning rubber. With a detached sense of surprise he saw the eye miraculously and dreadfully disintegrate. Then, as the bitter smell of burned cordite stung his nostrils, he sprang violently sidewise to find himself staring up at the howdah, now towering at least forty feet above. The next few minutes were indescribable horrible roars and bellows loud as those of a thousand angered bulls shattered the air the diplodocus halted stunned by pain and the partial loss of eyesight then its infinitesimal brain becoming gripped with fear it plunged and lumbered sidewise nearly shaking the warriors from the howdah where they clung for dear life nelson was barely able to avoid the sweep of the powerful tail as the diplodocus wheeled about on hind legs reeled, and started blindly back towards the Jarmuthian ranks. Suddenly it stood stock-still, shaking with super-elephantine motions. Then, for all the world's like a balky mule, it sank to the earth, and cowered there, despite the frantic efforts of the surviving Jarmuthians to stir it to obedience. By the strong amber light of the sun flare Nelson had a vision of the last two warriors swinging in ape-like agility to the ground. They were giants, those two men of Jarmuth, and their conical helmets added additional stature. One of them, shouting an unintelligible taunt, reached for his belt to snatch out a fungus bomb, but Nelson, dropping on one knee, sent a bullet crashing between the Jarmuthians' scowling eyes. Even as he fell, the last of the six champions unwisely ignored his retortii, and frantically sprang forward, razor-edged sword upraised nelson frantically worked the ejector lever but only an empty click resulted his heart sank hell the magazine's empty he had just time to swing the winchester about and grasp its barrel as the jarmuthian with a loud shout sprang in slashing viciously at nelson's unprotected neck using the clubbed rifle like a baseball bat the american struck out with the strength of despair there came a resonant clang as blade and barrel encountered each other steel is ever stronger than bronze so nelson had the satisfaction of seeing the jarmuthian's sword blade break squarely in two near the hilt horrified the black-bearded warrior glanced at the empty hilt in his hand but courageous to the end sprang in like a tiger to grapple with that small agile man in khaki and serge you would eh gasped nelson Putting all his strength behind a blow, he whirled up the heavy Winchester, struck out and felt the solid walnut stock smash fair and square on the conical helmet. Like an eggshell, the bronze helm broke, and the six-pointed star above went spinning off into the dust. As a tree sways before it falls beneath a forester's axe, so the dark Jarmuthian giant tottered, while the wide, dusty plain of Poseidon echoed with a rumbling, incredulous shout. There! joked nelson incredulous to be still alive i guess that'll be about all for today. but he was wrong from the ranks of jarmuth rose a terrible ominous cry and at the same time there broke out the sibilant hiss of a thousand retortii from the atlantean army came an answering yell and nelson turned to race back to the shelter of altorius's bodyguard pausing but to arouse the terrified hostages swiftly he cast loose their bonds and pointed to the nearest detachment of atlanteans sobbing with joy the six girls fled for dear life just as the first of the alisori went racing over the plains screaming all powerful and uncanny war-dogs they bounded grotesquely high in the air plunging straight towards the jarmuthian ranks which greeted them with a searing billowing blast of their retortii though dozens of the terrible creatures fell kicking and writhing beneath the scalding discharge of the retortii the main body perhaps forty or fifty in number sprang like rending fiends into the dense packed masses of jarmuthian infantry of the ensuing battle nelson had but the most confused recollections the dominating impression was that the fray was awesome horrible beyond power of description he recalled feeding the five remaining cartridges into the magazine then clapping on an atlantean noble's helmet with hero john at his side he joined in a furious headlong charge of the Potoko corps like a vast glittering wedge the gallant atlantean lancers advanced under shelter of the blue maxima vapor which discharged by the protectons or light infantry dispelled the scalding steam-clouds launched from the jarmuthian portable retortii Hallervan, hero john shouted the atlantean war-cry van, come friend nelson this day shall the treacherous swine of jarmuth drown in their own blood van. nelson replied nothing he was too busy drawing a bead on a gorgeously arrayed enemy officer who appeared to be directing the defence faster and faster rushed the podocos forty fifty miles an hour a carnate thunderbolt hurled straight at the enemy's centre under a hot fire of grenades dozens of the lancers fell and once when a fungus bomb broke nearby, nelson saw half a dozen atlanteans tumble from their saddles the hideous yellow growths already sprouting from nostrils mouth and ears the turmoil became deafening indescribable like the roar of a crowded subway the american had a brief glimpse of a mountainous diplodocus assailed by half a dozen hissing shrieking Allisori, who employing jaws and claws ripped great shuddering chunks of flesh from the agonized and unwieldy monster on whose back the frantic jermuthians fought with terrible ferocity as agile as grasshoppers those fierce war-dogs ripped and worried their prey one of them clung like a bulldog to the doomed diplodocus's head though the twenty-foot neck writhed and whirled frantically in an effort to shake it loose Another Allosaurus, whining with eagerness, actually clambered up the back of an assailed giant, only to fall back under the blast of a retortii, mounted in the howdah. Bathed in live steam, with bones showing through its melting, quivering flesh, the Allosaurus collapsed backwards, but another instantly took its place, and gaining its goal with a terrific leap, made a shambles of the howdah, tearing the men in it apart as a lion does an antelope. Nelson found himself very busy. The charging Pudokasos were now in the midst of the Jarmuthian heavy infantry, slashing down at a maze of yelling black-bearded Semitic faces. Once Nelson was nearly speared, shooting his assailant just as the lance glimmered over his heart. Again he saw the Atlantean hoplites, beaten back amid a pestilential fog of fungus gas, which stretched them in kicking loathsome heaps on the dusty plain. The uproar became terrific, indescribable, as the whistling streams of the Allosauri and the Saurian bellows of the Diplodosi rose above the shouts of the soldiery to fill the dust-laden air with a dreadful clamor. The battle now swayed critically, a feather's weight on either side and one army would roll back in red, irretrievable ruin. It was the psychological instant, Nelson sensed it unerringly look shouted hero john dashing a rivulet of blood from his eyes there fights the dog-begotten jeroboam himself hallervan smite ye soldiers of atlans smite following the line of the outstretched hand nelson caught a glimpse of an enormous eagle-nosed warrior who clad in gleaming diamond-studded harness fought like a paladin of old powerful as a dark ares the sable-browed jeroboam raged among the dismayed Atlantean hoplites beating them to earth with terrible ferocity. It was a long shot, one he might readily have been forgiven in missing, but with the speed of thought Victor Nelson sprang from his podoko, dropped on one knee behind a pile of corpses, and, uttering a fervent prayer, fired full at Jeroboam's black head the nearest combatants drew back momentarily at the unfamiliar thunder of the report and fell silent while the groans and shrieks of the wounded rose loud as a man looking through many thicknesses of glass so nelson saw jeroboam reel on his splendidly caparisoned Podoko, clasp both hands to his forehead and sink to earth hero giles somewhere far in the atlantean van saw what transpired and capitalized it with the inspiration of a genius Jeroboam is dead, he shouted in ringing tones, and flashed his red-stained sword. Woe to Jarmuth this day! Smite ye sons of Atlans! Woe to Jarmuth! Jeroboam is fallen! And smite hard the reinforced Atlanteans did. Filled with a new courage, they advanced so determinedly that the disconcerted and dismayed Jarmuthians broke and fled in a disastrous, panic-stricken rout back over the plain of Poseidon towards the boiling river. The ground was already carpeted with dead and with abandoned equipment, when fresh packs of Alasori were loosed on the fleeing Jermuthians, to wreak havoc indescribable, and ere long only the triumphant panting Atlanteans remained on the field. End of chapter 5